0: autoimmune disease. What are the signs? How do you test for it? What are the causes? And most importantly, how do you reverse autoimmune disease? With Dr. Wendy Trubo.
1: Part of the issues with alcohol is that it dehydrates you and it's called we, we coined this, dehydraging.
0: So, oh, I haven't heard that one before.
1: No, because we just coined the term <laughs> like two months that's ago. That's awesome. So dehydrating is the state in which your cells don't function optimally because they're dehydrated. So don't age prematurely because you're dehydrated.
0: I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, Ben Azadi here, the host of the Keto Camp podcast, and today we bring back Dr. Wendy Trubo, who has been on the Keto Camp podcast before episode 396, a little over a year ago, where we discussed her book, Dirty Girl, Ditch the Toxins, Look Great and Feel Freaking Amazing. It was all about detox. Today, we bring her back to discuss autoimmune disease. This is very important because the majority of the population has autoimmune disease. And I don't know if you knew this, but it typically takes 10 to 20 years before your lab work changes for your doctor to diagnose you with autoimmune disease, meaning for those 10 to 20 years, you were having symptoms, but the lab work didn't change. So she's going to discuss why it's important to pay attention to signs of autoimmune disease. Some of the signs that she's going to reference is gut issues. You could also test an autoimmune gene. There's two genes that she references that 40% of the population have. And we get into the importance of the gut microbiome when it comes to autoimmune disease. She's going to stress the importance of the gut microbiome and why disease begins in the leaky gut. We're going to discuss how gluten, wheat, and grains could be so detrimental to the gut, triggering these autoimmune diseases. Genes. We'll talk about celiac disease versus gluten sensitivity. We'll talk about how to test the gut microbiome, her favorite test for looking at food sensitivity, and what to do if you're experiencing these digestive symptoms. We'll get into, I asked her, what are the top three causes of autoimmune disease? And she says, gluten, toxins, and stress. We'll unpack all of those. We'll get into the tight junctions. I was blown away by this. If you don't have one of those autoimmune genes, but you eat gluten, your tight junctions stay open for about 15 minutes. And you're going to hear why that's a problem. It allows food particles to go undigested into the bloodstream, creating an autoimmune response. But if you do have the gene, those tight junctions stay open for four hours. This is a problem. How do you know if you have this gene? We'll talk about that. Her favorite ways, I ask Dr. Wendy, what are your favorite ways to close the tight junctions? Well, of course, she says don't eat gluten. We'll talk about testing your genetics, vitamins A and D, zinc, glutamine, fiber, probiotics. We'll talk all about that. And then, of course, we can't have a conversation with Wendy t- not if we didn't talk about toxins. So we talk about toxins. Then we get into something where you're probably not going to like this discussion because we talk about the problem with alcohol and there's no benefit to alcohol and why it overtaxes your liver. And why you could never get rid of toxins, but you could always improve your detox pathways to allow those toxins to be removed efficiently. So this is going to be a very important episode for you, and I'm so glad you tuned in. And the timing is perfect because Dr. Wendy Trubeau is hosting, her and her husband Edward are hosting an Environmental toxin Summit, which actually is debuting tomorrow, April 11th. And I was one of the special guest speakers on there. I'm so honored to be on there. And they have a whole lineup of incredible speakers. We'll talk about it on the podcast, but they have talk- Dr. Terry Walls, Ari Witten, Catherine Arnston, Kevin Ellis, Wendy Myers, Kara Fitzgerald, Dr. David Jockers, Stephanie Seneff, who we'll talk about today, Dr. Will Cole, Sharon Stills, and a lot of other incredible rock stars and hey her summit is completely free. If you go to the link down below in the podcast notes, you could get your free spot to her summit. Speaking of summits, well this is actually not a summit, but our 7-day keto kickstart challenge starts today, April 10th. Hopefully you're already signed up for that. Our first live stream is at 11:50 a.m. Eastern time Monday, today April 10th. If you're not registered for that, head over to ketocampchallenge.com. We have 7 sessions in the next seven days with myself, Dr. Jason Fung, Dr. Ken Berry, Dr. Boz. Plus, we're giving away over $20,000 in free prizes. So we'll put a link for that down below as well. So this is going to be a busy week for you because you have the Environmental Toxin Summit all about autoimmune and chronic disease, chronic fatigue, and our seven-day keto challenge as well. So head to the link down below to register for both of those free summits and challenges. I want to take a minute to get to to today's Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Big Papa titled, Great Info. Here's what Big Papa wrote. I've been keto for five years. The last couple of years, I've hit a plateau. Finding your podcast has been very helpful. Your plain scientific info is a godsend. Thanks and keep up the good work. Thank you, Big Papa. I appreciate that. Good work to you. Mixing things up, changing things up. That's what you want to do when you hit a plateau mix it up. Every great fitness coach and personal trainer knows that. You got to keep the body guessing. Same thing with keto. So kudos to you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so glad you're enjoying the show. If you haven't left the Keto Camp podcast or rating and review yet, please do so on Apple Podcast or whatever platform you're listening from. And maybe I'll read your review on the next episode. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview with Dr. Wendy Trubo and any of our interviews, head over to youtube.com slash keto camp. Okay, let's talk about autoimmune disease with Dr. Wendy Troubeau. Dr. Wendy Troubeau is the president of Five Journeys, a membership-based wellness company that uses functional medicine and distinctive method of addressing the five main components of health, physical, chemical, emotional, social, and spiritual, to develop an all-encompassing strategy for vitality and wellness. She is also a functional medicine and wellness provider, a best-selling author of Dirty Girl, and a self-proclaimed champion for health. Her and her husband, Edward, have an awesome podcast called The Five Journeys Podcast. I have been a guest on there. Go subscribe to it. Here is Dr. Wendy Troubeau. Dr. Wendy Troubeau, welcome back to the podcast. So good to have you back with us.
1: Great to be here.
0: We ha- always have a great time when we chat. Uh, I have been on your podcast with your husband, Edward, uh, the Five Journeys podcast. Go subscribe to it. Everybody's listening and watching. And uh, of course, you've been on the podcast, my podcast before. And that was episode 396. For those who didn't listen to it, go listen to it. You shared your backstory, your pain to purpose story of uh, heavy metal toxicity, mold toxicity, celiac disease, You know, not being able to get out of bed essentially like you were you were in bad shape and what you did to overcome that and the book that you wrote, Dirty Girl. What a great title that you have if you're watching on YouTube right behind you. <laughs> um, so yeah, go listen to that if you didn't hear that episode. And today we're going to focus on some very important topics. Here's where I want to start. I didn't tell you what we're going to talk about. I wanted to make it a surprise. I want to start with autoimmune conditions. We know that there are so many out there. There's probably over 100 and then a whole bunch of others that are associated with autoimmune disease But the tricky part is this, at least for me, and I want to hear your thoughts. A lot of people have autoimmune conditions, but they're not aware. And it takes a long time until the lab work kind of shows up that, hey, you have an autoimmune condition. So what are your thoughts on that? Like, How can we be ahead of the curve so we're not diagnosed with it? How essentially is autoimmune being developed in the body? So how does it start? How long does it take for diagnosis Those are two questions. third question are, what are the main contributors to autoimmune?
1: Okay. Do you know that I'm speaking on this at A4M in May of 2023? (laughs) I'm talking about it all starts in the gut. Zonulins, gluten exposure, and autoimmunity. That is what I'm talking about. So I love that you surprised me. Okay, so- I
0: I didn't even know that. What a great synchronicity.
1: Okay, so that's in Orlando. It's not, I think I said to you last year, oh, I'll meet you next year, but that's not where we are. So it's in Orlando this year. Okay, so let's, let's back up a step. You asked me like a huge thing to unpack. Autoimmunity. Why is it diagnosed so late? It's diagnosed so late because you have to cross- the line. You have to go past what we consider to be a work in progress and development and get to the point where the lab indicators say, okay, you've, you've reached that point. So let's use celiac or diabetes. Those are both very clear examples of diseases that you're considered to either have or not, but you are clearly not one day a celiac and one day not a celiac or one day perfect sugar metabolism and then the next day you're in deep doo-doo. That's not like that. You can see both of those coming for years. So for autoimmune diseases, you see the signs a lot earlier than you get the diagnosis and that's because the diagnosis is a lab value that you've crossed. You're higher than the lab value. But the symptoms happen much before that. So All autoimmune diseases start in the gut. I'm going to take, I'm going to just put a stake in the ground. All autoimmune diseases begin in your gut. So if you have an autoimmune disease, you have gut dysfunction. Whether you have bloating, gas diarrhea, constipation, reflux, GERD, or anything else, you have gut dysfunction. Okay. Now, everybody's more or less sensitive to the things that cause a leaky gut. So when you look at people with DQ2 or DQ8, which are the genes associated with celiac disease, type one diabetes and rheumatoid arthritis. It's particularly DQ8 that's associated with all three of those and DQ2 is mostly celiac. However, once you have one autoimmune disease, you're more likely to get others and Hashimoto's is associated with celiac of both types. So you start to expand the pot. So anyone who has DQ2 or DQ8 means and it's like 40% of the population. Wow. It, it, I know, right? That's so insane. it's just slightly under one in two people have this gene. Now, not everyone has the gene, gets the gets celiac, but if you have the gene, what happens when you eat gluten, which is the predominant grain that we eat in our bread, cake, candy, cookie, pasta, beer, anything processed has wheat in it, basically. What happens when you eat those is you have more copies of a receptor. I didn't name it. Okay. I'm just repeating. I'm just the messenger. It's called CXCR3. It's a terrible name. I, I don't know why they named it that. But anyway, when you have CXCR3 and you eat gluten, you have more copies of this, this receptor. And when you eat gluten, you upregulate it and you cause zonulin to be excreted. Now you're saying, what's zonulin?
0: Sounds like Z- a superhero to a lot of people. Yes.
1: Or, or, or the supervillain, okay? Zonulin oh, could be the supervillain. More, more
0: accurately, yeah.
1: So let's back up. Your gut is lined by very tightly packed cells from your mouth to your anus, and they're stuck together like they are jammed in there. And it's only one cell wall thick. So we're talking about something that's thinner than a piece of paper separating your outside world from your inside body. Now, zonulins are one of, were the first substance discovered in the early 2000s by my hero, Alessio Fasano. I, I track him, I follow him, I work with him on the National Celiac Association. My husband always teases me like I'm a groupie, and I am because I'm convinced he's gonna get the Nobel Prize for this discovery because what he discovered is when zonulins kick in, they open the tight junction. So instead of your outside world being repelled and only taking in what you want, The outside world and the inside world are suddenly meeting because you open the tight junctions and bacteria, toxins, heavy metals, mycotoxins, food particles, whatever. You know, whatever you're ingesting or breathing in, all of a sudden now gets into your bloodstream. Let's stop. Do you have questions about that? Because that is a lot to unpack.
0: Yeah, so wheat gluten, uh, is it primarily the dwarfed wheat that's problematic or is it all wheat because there's different wheat in Europe or so what's the difference between the types of wheat?
1: Yeah great question so the you'll you're more likely to have a physical reaction to the wheat from the United States which is it's not technically genetically modified but I think we're splitting hairs because it's been bred. So they haven't cut genes out of it. That's what it means to be genetically modified. But So it hasn't been that, but it's been specifically bred to, as you said, grow faster, be resistant to drought, not tip over in, in the high winds and the rains, and it's, it's dwarf, instead of the waving fields like we think of, it's much smaller. So that made it more allergenic for people. So a lot of people will react to that wheat and notice the reaction. However, the European grain, gluten still has the particles of gluten, and those are binding to the cxcr3 receptors so you might not notice as many reactions but you're still opening your tight junctions so it's it's i think we're, we're talking about two separate issues so when you open your tight junctions let's go back to that all of these things come into your bloodstream your bloodstream says this is not me and this is not normal and you mount an immune response And if the body gets it wrong, you mount an autoimmune response because some of these particles look like your thyroid or look like your gut lining. So it mimics what your body would mount an immune response to. And and now the body's confused and it's mounting an immune response against itself by mistake. It's a mistake. It's not real, but it's what happens. So all disease starting in the gut and zonulins being at the root cause of this, you can start to see that... If you don't have the gene and you eat gluten, you open your tight junctions for about 15 minutes. And if you do have the gene and you eat gluten, you open your tight junctions for about four hours. Four hours. I know. Wow. I know. So now layer on, you're someone who has the gene, you eat gluten, and maybe you're eating a standard American diet, which would be, what did you have for breakfast? A bagel or cereal. How about lunch, a sandwich or a wrap? With avocado, of course. How about dinner? Pasta with some chicken and broccoli, or maybe you're a vegan, so you have pasta with vegetables. You've now, if you have the gene, you've you've opened up your tight junctions for 12 hours, and and so your your environment has a long time to tweak you because it's constantly open. Now, if you have a snack before bed, and you open your tight junctions, you're going to be open even longer. So. What we're starting, you know, you start to see the incidence of autoimmune disease increasing, and it it tracks with what we're doing to weed. It tracks with the pesticides we're putting on our food and the stressful lives we lead. It all kind of goes together. It's not only gluten, but it's a lot of it.
0: This is interesting. So, if you do not have the gene, your tight junctions are going to stay open for about fifteen minutes after you've had the gluten, the wheat. If you have the gene, it's up to four hours. And let's face it the average American is not just having three meals a day or even that snack before bed. They're eating in between their meals all day for the majority pretty much of when they're awake. So essentially, if you have the genes, your tight junctions are pretty much open almost 24 hours a day, allowing these food particles, these uh, foreign invaders to go into your bloodstream and then it confuses your immune system how does this happen when it comes to like food sensitivities? What happens with the immune system when it starts targeting a piece of avocado as a threat and now you are now sensitive to a healthy food like, like avocado? What's happening with that?
1: Yeah, so what happens is when you have food sensitivities, you can have any number of reactions. So it can go... You could start in the gut and say, okay, I have GI issues, or you could go head to toe and say, my brain's not working. That's more likely with things like foods that contain yeast or sugary foods. That's more likely, but not exclusive. Then you can have endocrine dysfunction because the food sensitivities are innately stressful to the body and they act as inflammation. And now your body sees inflammation and it reacts in the pathway that it's more likely to go down. So I'm an autoimmune pathway. I went down the celiac path. So is my whole family, by the way. We've all, you know, we have nasty genes. But other people would go down Hashimoto's. Other people would go down degenerative disease or cancer. And other people would go down osteoporosis. There's no shortage of, or, or the metabolic syndrome or diabetes or cardiovascular disease. I, I could keep going, right? Like However your body's gonna start to manifest the inflammation from food sensitivities and other reactions start to come out in what we call diagnoses. But let's back up, let's go back to, okay, if you have a reaction to avocado, when you eat avocado, you might notice that your eczema flares. You're like, I don't, I don't get it, I'm eating an avocado, it's so helpful for me, it's supposed to help my skin. But because the tight junctions are open or because your body's primed to react, when it gets exposed to these antigens, Even though it's a food, it's not really an antigen, but your body doesn't know that, it reacts. There's a lot of other things that can cause the tight junctions to open and help them stay closed. But food is a massive component because we do it every day, multiple times a day.
0: I want to get into in a little bit what helps them stay closed. And I know that first you got to remove what's opening them. So let's stay on, on that topic. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, a symptom that manifests from a food sensitivity can that take up to 4 days meaning if somebody had a food they were sensitive to let's say it's avocado on monday can they get a flare up of their eczema or a symptom on wednesday or thursday can it be that long 4 days yeah, totally. up to 4 days
1: yeah totally and it's so funny you say that cuz i um, i've been playing with my gut and my zonulins actually i've been cuz i've celiac i'm so sensitive to gluten and i never used to eat out and i the last 6 months i've been doing two different peptides. One is BPC-157, and one is lorazotide acetate. The BPC-157 helps the cells heal at a cellular level, and the lorazotide acetate helps the tight junctions stay closed by inhibiting zonulins, okay? So I started taking these about three months ago, and uh, every time I go out, oh, I also did LDA, low-dose antigen therapy, which is food sort of uh, quieting the immune system's reaction to foods and environmental allergens. It's a lot. So I ate out twice, and the first time I ate out, I was like, I have a stomachache, but I didn't get a headache, I didn't get irritable, I didn't have this sort of all-out gut reaction that I often do, and I thought, oh, I didn't have a reaction, but like a day later, I thought, oh, maybe I did have a reaction because I have a stomachache, and then I just ate out last week and didn't have irritability, headache, or that full-on, you know, within an hour, I can usually tell you if I got exposed, but I did have two days later, I had an irritable gut and I had a stomach ache. And I I said to my husband, I think I'm having a food reaction from Friday because it didn't have it right away, but it's a little bit of a delayed reaction. The third part to that is that when we went out and ate, I ate food I don't normally eat. So I never, ever, ever eat calamari in my house, much less fried calamari. So I ate that and I'm thinking, well, maybe I don't do well with fried calamari so that we're gonna go out again and eat and I'm not gonna eat the fried calamari or the general Gauss cauliflower. And we're going to see. We're going to do an experiment going and eat at the same restaurant and get the same food, but just not have those things and see. But yes, you can have a, a delayed reaction to food 72 hours. I mean, my dad is celiac, and he doesn't react to gluten for days, which makes it very difficult to persuade him not to eat it because, you know, there's no dose-response thing, and it's very hard to keep track of for some people.
0: Yeah, yeah, very hard, and that your your story is a perfect example. That's why if somebody's doing an an elimination diet and they start to bring back foods in, you got to do it very low, very slowly. One food maybe four days at a time. When I teach people to do carnivore, and they want to introduce plant toxins, you know, anti nutrients, vegetables, whatever you want to call them, I tell them one at a time for four days and see how you feel. If you feel really good, bring a second thing in. But if you notice some symptoms, you kind of have identified that as a food that's not working for you right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's no harm in going slower. You know, you, you can go as slow as you want.
0: Hey, when was the last time you bit into a juicy burger or a perfectly cooked steak and thought to yourself, this is the best thing I've ever tasted? If it's been a while, it's probably because most meat products are conventionally raised, which not only affects the flavor profile, but significantly diminishes the beneficial nutrients and minerals. And believe it or not, even products that are labeled as grass-fed or ethically raised, to make you think they're high quality, are often finished on grain or in factory farms, which is why I am so excited to share something with you today that will not only help you avoid the hormones, antibiotics, and pesticide residues that diminish the taste of conventionally raised meat, but could also save you nearly $1,000 over the next year on your grocery bill. And the best part? this may be the best tasting thing you've had in a long time. So what the heck am I talking about? I'm talking about Wild Pastures Meat Delivery. They provide the highest quality meats from small, regenerative, family-run farms here in the United States that prioritize sustainability and animal welfare. Their beef is 100% grass-fed. Their pork and poultry are pasture-raised, something you won't find anywhere in the grocery store, resulting in meats that are not only healthier for you, but also better for the environment. One of the reasons why me and my fiance, Natasha loves wild pastures is that we can opt out out of supporting harmful conventional farming practices and instead support small, family-run farms without spending a fortune. And the convenience doesn't stop there. They offer delivery straight to your door so you can enjoy delicious, high-quality meats without even leaving your house. very soon. Head to the podcast notes down below, click the link, enjoy your wild pastures. Okay, let's get right back to this episode. So what about testing? Uh, I want to hear your thoughts on testing the gut microbiome. Uh, love testing. There's been, love data. I, mean, I
1: love data.
0: <laughs> you're right. And out of, like all the studies out there with the gut microbiome, there's still so much to learn about. It. It's just so complex. My biggest takeaway from all those testing, and I want to hear your thoughts on this, is that the more diversity in your gut, the healthier you are, right? Uh, would you make that general conclusion as well?
1: The more diversity and the higher the population of beneficial bacteria, the healthier you are. Yes. With that little more
0: diversity, little higher population of beneficial bacteria. So with that being said, how do we test the gut microbiome? What are your, your favorite ways to test and what are your thoughts on food sensitivity tests?
1: I'm going to answer that first because it's easy. Uh, I love food sensitivity testing. The one we use the most is Alitest. It's actually a Massachusetts-based company. Go Boston. And uh, <laughs> I love them because they have tons of testing, not just food sensitivity, but I like the, the price point. I like the accuracy. I like the testing modality. So you can either do a finger prick or a blood test, and it's just easy to use. So I like that. I do it about every two years on my patients because if you do it sooner... It's kind of like watching your hair grow. You don't really see anything month to month, year over year. But then after about two years, you can compare it. And uh, I'll tell you, I had my food sensitivity testing done early in COVID, actually. And I called them. And I said, guys, I love you to pieces. Is there any possibility you made a mistake with my blood test and attributed it to someone else because it looks really good. Like I've never had a food sensitivity that looked that good. So I'm just curious, you know, could it be that? And they were like, no, Wendy, it has your name on it, right? It has your name, it's your sample. We processed yours and put it together and that's how it goes. And I was like, wow. So when I first got the food sensitivity test, you know, 15 years ago, more than 50% of the foods were red meaning I was reactive to them, and I was reactive to them at a highly reactive level. This most recent one, less than a quarter were red, and they were all one. And it was just such night and day. So you can absolutely heal the God, I love food sensitivity testing as a marker for a guidepost. It's not the holy grail, but it's a good guidepost. Like, where do you go? And then stool testing.
0: Well, before, before I get to stool testing, the food sensitivity testing, what was the name of that one you mentioned again?
1: Alites, Alletess.
0: A-L-L-E-T-E-S-S. Alletess. Okay, got it. So you're saying I'm kind of skeptical on food sensitivity testing, and here's why. I've never done this test, so please, it's not this test that I'm skeptical about. But I have done food sensitivity testing on myself, and I've done it on clients in the past where just out of curiosity, do it one day, finger prick, and then do it a week later and then do it two weeks later. And it and it changed in, in that amount of time. And it made me think that the gut microbiome is so the tight junctions are going in and out that it's always gonna give me a different result. It's not gonna, it didn't give me good feedback. And I and I kind of had a sour taste towards it because it kept changing. And if it's like one week I said I could have these foods, the next week I can't, and then it goes back. It was too many variables to me, and I thought it wasn't a good test because of that. You're saying that with, would be
1: crazy making. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: would, would so, like, with this one, if you did the same test week after week without making any changes, you should you'd see the same data, is what you're saying?
1: You should. So, it's an IgG test. So, it's measuring the antibody levels in your blood. And it's measuring, and what I say to people is, it's measuring what's getting through the lining of your gut into your bloodstream, and your body's then developing antibodies against. So it really shouldn't vary week by week because unless you've done, uh, you know, we're running our Feel Freaking Amazing program. It's an eight-week program with an elimination diet and a detox your life. Pro- it's all sort of smushed into one. So okay, if you did that at the beginning of the program, and then eight weeks later you might notice a difference because you've eliminated the top allergenic foods from your eating plan for those eight weeks. So that might show it. But because it takes about three weeks for the IgG antibodies to go down, unless you hit that magical three week mark and the patient hadn't told you their change in diet, you really shouldn't notice something appreciable between one and one more week because it's measuring IgG, which is longer term. And that's why I say to people, this isn't the holy grail. If you eat something all the time, you will show up as reactive to it. But if you're showing up as mildly reactive and you eat it every day and you have no and you've done an elimination to test that you have no reactions, you can pretty safely eat that. But try not to eat the same thing every day of the week anyway. Give your gut variety. Right? Don't don't just hammer every day I'm eating, you know, the same exact foods. That's not good for your gut either.
0: Yeah. That's a Pro tip right there. I talk about that all the time. I love that you said that. Change the foods you're eating. Don't eat the same thing every day. It's a new problem we have. Most people stick to the same, whatever, eight foods that they love or four
1: foods. (laughs) I know, right? And that's nature loves diversity. Diversity. And the microbiome is a mini city inside of us, and we're outnumbered 10 to 1. So, yeah, give it diversity. Give it. I was talking to Deanna Minnick about this, and she said, you know, okay, have an apple every day, but have a different kind of apple every day. So, don't eat the same apple. You can eat an apple every day, but don't eat the same kind of apple. Now with bananas, you can't do that. There's literally a monoculture for bananas, which is why bananas are endangered because they have no more diversity in their, it's only one type of banana that you can get. So, okay, if you're gonna eat a banana every day, it's gonna be the same. But for peaches, oranges, even grapefruits, apples, you can get different varieties. So try, you know, get fewer of the the same and get more diversity.
0: Makes sense. Let me ask you this now. What about somebody who's taking the same probiotic with the same strains for years and months? Can they potentially create monoculturing or can it be problematic?
1: I wouldn't say problematic. I would say just not as effective because nature loves diversity. So you want to give your body, just like if you do the same workout every single day, there is a law of diminishing returns that you will no longer get as much muscle building or cardiovascular improvement from the same workout every day. So it's good to vary your workouts. It's good to vary your probiotics, vary your diet. There's a theme here.
0: Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So what about the argument for those who are doing carnivore? They, they're not really varying their diet. They're eating nothing but meat. What are your thoughts on long-term carnivore when it comes to the diversity of the gut and just in general to your health, long-term carnivore diets?
1: So, let me preface this by saying I've, I've seen exactly one report, which I don't think is enough to make comments about. But what I would say is, what's the purpose of a carnivore diet? It's to mimic how our ancestors ate. But during certain seasons, our ancestors ate the abundance of foods that were available. So, what I would say is, if we take the carnivore diet and we're literally only eating meat, then at some point, we're not getting what we need in terms of micronutrients, phytonutrients, and the stuff we rely on. So that doesn't make sense to me to do indefinitely. I could see doing it for a period of time that would mimic in the earth cycles when you don't have access to those foods, meaning like December, January, February, your food stores have run out from the fall and you haven't yet planted and grown. But here's the thing. I'm not so sure that our ancestors were necessarily much healthier, but they didn't have the toxins we have. And they didn't drink alcohol and they didn't run around and run themselves ragged. And so I I don't think it's so much about how they were eating as the way they were living and the exposures they were having.
0: Yeah, fair point.
1: But that seemed like it would probably cause some nutritional deficiencies if you did that all the time.
0: Yeah. And I'm with you. I, I do carnivore periodically, 30 days. I just did it for January, this past January, and I feel really good with it, but I, I don't recommend it or do it long term. But the, here's the argument from the carnivore people. And I've, I've interviewed a lot of brilliant carnivore doctors who think the solution is to run away from plant toxins, like never have them again. Uh, there's no benefits to them. They're anti-nutrients. They're creating problems, phytates, lectins, whatever. There's a hundred plus of them. So they're saying to just eliminate them and let your your gut have foods that are very low in anti-nutrients like meat. But to me, and I think we're on the same page here, that's like saying to never encounter anything that's going to cause a like hormetic positive stress to your body. Put yourself in a bubble, never be around germs. You get weaker. It, It makes the gut weaker to never expose yourself to these. I think the approach is to maybe do it short term Work on the gut, eliminate the toxins, you know, eliminate the things that have led to you having a weak microbiome, gut microbiome, and then bring them back in and they act as a positive stress like exercise. They actually could create more diversity by stressing it in a positive way with the phytates and the lectins and nightshades, et cetera. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I think that we've painted vegetables with one huge broad brushstroke, right? So certainly there are categories of vegetables that can be more difficult to either digest or more likely to throw your metabolic syndrome system off, you know, you're referring to the lectins, or be more likely to be inflammatory for you if you're at risk. But I wouldn't say across the board, all vegetables are bad. (laughs) You know, so I have, nor would I say to anyone, meat is bad. So I don't like painting any category, except I would say that about alcohol. I can't yet make any argument for alcohol for any good outcome. So I can't say, oh yeah, it's great to drink alcohol because blotty blot. Nope, it's it's still a poison. So, um, And sugar, I would say sugar has, alcohol and sugar are the two, I wouldn't call them food groups, but food categories that I can't make an argument for in the positive. But everything else, I think there's a place for it.
0: We're going to circle back to the alcohol part. I had that in my notes, actually, because I want to bring some things up with you because I'm with you on the alcohol. I don't drink, but I want to talk more about that. But I want to stay in the conversation here. You mentioned that ATLAS test, and I'm going to do that test personally. Atlas. Test. test excuse me. I will do that uh, personally. It sounds interesting. Then you talked about uh, stool testing for the gut microbiome. So what are your favorite stool tests?
1: Okay, so, so there's like a thousand stool tests. So my favorite... Because we are an insurance-based practice, my favorite is one that takes insurance. And so that might be different if you're a provider who you need different credentials to order. So depending on your credentialing and your insurance status, you might not choose to do it. But I personally love, love uh, Genova testing for stool testing because it's, it's comprehensive. It's called GIFX. It covers everything. And because... I'm a gynecologist, and I'm also looking at how are you processing your hormones? Are they proper? Are you at risk for estrogen-dependent cancers or estrogen dominance? And I don't see men, but men are at risk for it too. I like that it also gives the evaluation of beta-glucuronidase, which is telling me how are you processing your estrogen, and are you at risk for recycling toxic estrogen? So that gives me, gives me insight into what's happening in there. So uh, that's my favorite. It's uh, one hundred seventy nine to two to four hundred, depending on what insurance does and doesn't cover. But that's it's it's head to toe, you know, covers everything.
0: Yeah, I've heard great things about that test. Yeah. I know a lot of my Love colleagues it. use them. I, I, I usually use the um, G. Uh, what is it called? The Vibrant Wellness Gut Zoomer. Yep. Uh, that's the one that I've used. Yep. Does this test give you a diversity score? Give you an idea no. of your diversity?
1: It, it shows you the diversity. It doesn't give you a score okay. per se, but it'll it it categorizes your. Uh, bacterial balance, the dysbiosis, inflammation, digestion. Oh, now I'm thinking of like, there's five categories and I'm very pictorial. So like dysbiosis, inflammation, digestion. There's two other, I'm totally blanking on them. If I saw them, I'd be able to recall them. That's very easy to say, but um, there, it's five categories and then it drills into what's happening in each category.
0: Interesting. Yeah, it sounds like a great test. Okay. That's good to know. All right, so we, we talked about what's causing uh, leaky gut autoimmune. Do you think number one, it's the gluten and, the, and the, the wheat? Is that the number one thing that's causing the tight junctions to open or, or is there something else up there with the wheat?
1: I don't think I can pick just one, Ben. Like, I'm, not, I'm not committing to one. So I would say top three, no particular order.
0: Okay, no particular order, top three. Go ahead.
1: No particular order, top. So we've already talked about gluten, toxins, and stress. The, okay. Those would be the three that I would say are contributing to autoimmune disease in the largest way. All sort of different pathways and, and uh, rationale, but those would be my top three.
0: Okay, I like that. So gluten, toxins, and stress. So toxins. Which toxins specifically are the main culprits that lead to this problem?
1: Yeah. Yes. You can't really slice and dice it that way. Uh, I don't mean to be combative. I'm sorry. I sound like I'm really...
0: No, no, you're not. I'm not you, I don't feel...
1: You can't slice and dice it that way. So it's not like... You can't walk through your day and say, oh, today I was exposed to flame retardants, but not plastics. There was a recent article in the New York Times about a reporter who tried to go a day, one day, 24 hours without plastics, had something like 350 violations because he couldn't, he couldn't use a computer because of all the components he couldn't ride on the subway because the seats were plastic but then he brought his own his own stool he couldn't eat the food because it had a plastic sticker on it indicating it was organic not organic with the with the P- pc codes so you can't really walk through your day and say here's what I was exposed to here and here's what I wasn't exposed to because it doesn't work like that you know if you drive in a car or you walk outside or you drink something you're exposed to perchlorate degradation of tires air quality chemicals in the air. If you live near a golf course or a farm, you're exposed to the pesticides from splaying the glyphosate. So if you take your clothes to the dry cleaner, you've got the formaldehyde. It's never ending. If you are female and you put stuff on your body to make it look nice, or you're male, and you wear a cologne or an aftershave or something in your hair to keep it in place, you've been exposed to chemicals, phthalates, parabens. So you really can't say what it was because you can't tease out what your exposures are.
0: So what you're saying is that we cannot escape toxins. They're everywhere. But what we can do is make sure our detox pathways are working properly to get rid of them as best as possible.
1: Yes, which is why we're (laughs) going to talk about alcohol next, right?
0: Yes, right. (laughs) So, okay. But when it comes to toxins, would you say... Being exposed to BPA is not as bad as being exposed to silver amalgam fillings in the mouth.
1: Okay, when you put it like that, I would say, but think about it. When you have a silver amalgam fill, yes, I agree with you. When you have a silver amalgam filling in your mouth, it's constant and unremitting. You are exposed 24-7. When you drink from a BPA bottle, it's for 10 minutes, and then you have to deal with whatever you absorbed. So when you look at if you were to have... BPA exposure 24 7 versus mercury 24 7. I might not be able to say the same thing, but it's the episodic nature versus the constant nature. That's fair. Uh, so it's it, hard to compare it, both because you you're not yeah, getting a
0: 24 7 BPA. Yeah, yeah, but you're yeah, getting death totally. by a thousand
1: oh. cuts. You know, you're living on the earth yeah. and you are literally getting hammered every day with toxins.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So true. Uh, and your book talks all about that. Did you see that study regarding plastics? Uh, University of Newcastle study showed that the average person consumes around two thousand tiny pieces of plastic each week, which is about five grams—the size of a credit card—in a week.
1: Like one credit card per week, right? <sighs> like, oh, I'll take <sighs> my food inside of plastic, please.
0: Yeah, I, I remember. Recently, I was I ordered my um, Whole Foods on on online on Amazon. You know how you could order online. And I ordered like 100% grass-fed, grass-finished ground beef, May of last year, and I got an email from Amazon a month ago saying uh, it's been recalled because there's uh, an extraordinary amount of plastic in that product. I was like, that was May. I already ate that. Things that make you go. You would think "Hmm." it would. Yeah, I was like, oh great, like that's already in my body. Uh, So the goal is to get those detox pathways working properly.
1: Yes, 100%.
0: Hey, KetoCamper, there's something that I do every single day to supercharge my mitochondria to help with inflammation and soreness from a workout, and that is the use of red light therapy. This is called photobiomodulation, and there's a ton of research that shows the benefits of near-infrared and red light therapy. The red light therapy that I use is from Bon Charge. I simply use it 10 to 20 minutes per day. It has both near-infrared and red light, and every single day when I use this, I feel ready to take on my day. So whether you're dealing with gut pain, joint inflammation, or you want to just supercharge your mitochondria, get your hands on a quality red light therapy device. And I highly recommend the one from Bon Charge. They hooked you all up for being a KetoCamp podcast listener with a 15% off coupon code. All you need to do, check out this product and all the wonderful products they have available is to go to boncharge.com com KetoCamp and use the coupon code KetoCamp at checkout to save 15% off your order. We will drop that link and coupon code in the podcast notes. Go check it out and let's get right back to this episode. Okay. The third one was stress. When we talk about stress, there's three primary areas of stress. There's mental, emotional, there's physical, and then chemical, which is part of the toxicity piece. So, What are you referring to when you talk about stress? Mental, emotional um. stress? All of, all of that. And,
1: and toxins What's are a stressor too. Okay, so, you, so let's, I can't remember. Did I share this example with you? My husband and I went to Florida, no, sorry. We went to California and we were traveling from uh, Palm Springs to LA. So we were driving and they have these massive barriers. Have I shared this with you?
0: I don't think so. I can't remember. Share it.
1: They had these massive barriers on the left. We were in the left-hand lane and they had these 10, 12 foot barriers, cement barriers. Like you could not drive a truck through them. They they were there for good. Oh yeah,
0: I remember the story now, but share it again for those who didn't hear it before. Okay,
1: so this is your first time. If this is your second time, I'm sorry. If it's your first time, (laughs) welcome to this. Okay, so I've been working on my gut health, my adrenal health for 16 years and I'm in the car with my husband. My kids are with my mom back in Palm, Palm Springs. And out of the corner of my eye, the car next to us is just driving. They're kind of right in front of us to the side. And then the car next to them is similar, that they're just slightly in front of them to the side of them. I see the car two lanes over swerve into the car in front of us, and I know they're gonna swerve into my lane, so I start yelling, break, 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 and my husband, God love him, he's been with me for long enough, we've been married 20 years, and so he does, and he breaks, and the car next to us that was here swerves right in front of us, but doesn't hit us. Nothing happened, Ben, nothing happened, but for two days, I was jittery and anxious, and my digestion was off, because your thoughts are powerful enough to set off a cascade of events in your adrenal liver and gut that will either tank you or make you amazing. So simply having a thought, oh my God, we're gonna get into this accident and we couldn't swerve to the left. We had to go, we could only stop or go forward. There there were no other places for us to go. So just having those thoughts. So you have this thought like, I hate my boss. I have to have a meeting with my boss. I hate my boss. Oh my God, here you are. Down the pathway of your adrenals are jacked up. They say to the liver, "Don't detox," because guys, we're, in, we're a, a lion's about to eat us at this point. You're not going to detox, and then the liver and and the adrenals say to the gut, "Whoa, digestion is not a priority right now." So you shut down digestion, you shut down detox, and you're pumping out cortisol and, and epinephrine to save your life because you think that you have to save your life. This is what so that's mental and emotional. Then the you know, physical, say we had gotten in a car accident. Not that I think I'm gonna get in a car accident, but I do get in a car accident. When you have massive stressors that occur like a car accident, but it could occur, it could be something much more minor that you experience as major. So a job loss or a breakup, you can develop leaky gut just from those experiences. So stressful physical experiences can cause leaky gut. And it can take months to heal from because you're you've jacked up the system.
0: Yeah. Powerful. Uh, it's so important because we have the average person has about 60,000 thoughts a day. And if a lot of those thoughts are these negative, what I call stinking, thinking thoughts, it's going to create leaky gut. It's going to create some problems. So we want to address that. We want to address the causes, the three main causes in no particular order. We have wheat, gluten specifically, toxicity and these stressful periods of time, whether it's physical, chemical, emotional. Now, what are your favorite ways to get those tight junctions closed? You mentioned the peptides. What else are you doing?
1: Okay, I love this conversation. So let's take a deep breath. So first off, don't eat gluten. Does that sound like a sort of basic thing to say? <laughs> Don't, don't eat, eat gluten.
0: gluten. I don't personally. That's something I never make an exception with. Even though I don't have celiac, I don't eat gluten.
1: Yeah, I don't eat gluten either. So one, don't eat gluten. And two, do get your vitamin D. I'm sorry. So we're talking about just uh, uh, zonulins and, and closing the tight junctions? Or are we talking about like... Yes. Okay, so in the... in the Tight rough,
0: junctions uh, specifically. So yeah. in the
1: tight junctions lane and the zonulins lane, don't eat gluten. Find out if you have DQ2 or DQ8 so that if you do eat gluten, you know whether it's impactful or not, right? Uh, vitamins A and D, vitamin D actually regulates the tight junctions, which is so cool. Huh. So I know vitamin D is an immune modulator. It It's a hormone and it regulates your tight junction. So make sure that you have adequate and healthy levels of vitamin D.
0: Well, that's, before you move on there, I didn't know that. That is super interesting. And here's, here's something that I always tell my um, audience is that what prevents vitamin D, the first enzyme that blocks vitamin D from being used is actually insulin. So high insulin levels, even if you're taking a whole bunch of vitamin D, it's not going to be converted. It's not going to be uh, used to the extent that you want it to. So you got to make sure you're taking care of your insulin levels as well.
1: And it all ties together because sugar, alcohol, and stress will raise your insulin levels.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, all that's tied (laughs) together.
1: And those are things that negatively contribute to intestinal permeability.
0: All makes sense. It's all coming together.
1: It all (laughs) all comes together. Zinc, glutamine, tryptophan, cysteine, butyrate, fiber, probiotics, all of these positively influence intestinal permeability. And then the only thing I didn't mention and the things that negatively impact intestinal permeability is um, high fat.
0: So... So that negative effect, intestinal permeability, high fat. Specifically, what type of fat?
1: You know, I need to look that up. So I'm not okay. clear that it really drove into what kind. So I'll need to look it up because I know you're keto. Now you do a lot of keto.
0: Here's this, A lot of people that do keto don't do it the way I, they're eating the wrong fats or eating a lot of the, the polyunsaturated fats that are more oxidized. And I could see that definitely contributing. So I'm wondering if it's more that or is it monounsaturated or saturated? I'm wondering the type of fats, but explain why. What? Why is it high fats?
1: It's just what was found in the study. I have the study up, but if I stop and do that, we're going to stop <laughs> the podcast. So that would probably not be fun, but I'll, leave, I'll have to circle back on that. So okay. they didn't specify necessarily why it was a category. So I have to go back and look at the study. I literally have it up because I'm doing the research for my talk for A4M in May. So. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. And if you could send that to me, I'd love to look at that too. I have seen studies that show high fat diets can increase um, LPS. And I'm wondering if they also saw that. But a lot of those studies were referring to more of like the PUFAs, the polyunsaturated fat. So I want to know if it's more of that or the saturated, monounsaturated, but that's interesting nonetheless.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I'll have to look.
0: Okay. So got it. So that's a great list right there. Um, don't eat gluten, test some genes, get. Those genetic SNPs, uh, vitamin A and D, specifically vitamin D, uh, regulates the tight junctions. And then zinc, glutamine, fiber probiotics, uh, maybe high fats might not be a good idea for some people. We'll look into that. Anything else on that topic?
1: Uh, well, stress, high fat, ethanol, and sugar. Those are the four.
0: Ethanol and sugar. Okay, got it. Yeah. Okay, alcohol. Let's get, circle back. <sighs> Uh, I don't drink alcohol. I don't advocate for it. It's been over seven years since I had my last sip of alcohol. I made a decision seven years ago, not because I ever had a problem. I just thought it was not serving me in my mission. It was taking me a step behind and I decided not to have it, to give it up. And that doesn't mean I will never have alcohol. Just right now, it's just not part of my routine. But there are some health advocates or or some health professionals that are citing uh, some studies that show Alcohol in moderation actually can extend lifespan and could be totally fine as long as it's in moderation. So what are your thoughts on people sharing that? Uh,
1: so here's the thing. I mean, Dan Buner studies this in, in uh, the Blue Zones where he finds that one common theme for people who live to be centenarians is that they do drink alcohol.
0: Yeah, uh, right. not Not
1: every, every community he found, but that he did find that alcohol was present. I really think it comes down to you... <laughs> How do I say this? Most of us are experiencing death by a thousand cuts every day for toxins exposure. Now, okay, Ben, I don't drink alcohol either. I stopped, um, I stopped right after my second child was born. We went out for my father-in-law's birthday. I drank a whole bottle of sake myself. It was delicious, but it took me a month to recover and I wasn't hungover. I was Logie. And I decided, okay, if, if a, a really big hit of it is taking this long to recover for, then, then I wasn't in functional medicine yet either. Then a smaller amount is doing the same thing, but I'm not noticing it as much. I'm not gonna drink until my adrenals are in a stage where they can handle it. And I don't really like the taste of anything except Manischewitz, so that was like easy. I'm not a big drinker, so I haven't drunk in 16 years. But it's not like a moral thing. It's more about if I said to you, Ben, I have the best thing for you. I have a glass of poison. It, it might or might not taste good to you, but it's going to impair your liver, and when you get exposed to it, your liver is not gonna do its typical work, and it's gonna shut down detox. It's also gonna mess up the tight junctions in your gut, and it'll you know raise your risk for diseases, and, and um, you might not feel very good tomorrow. Would you like a glass? You'd be like, who is this crazy, Like, really, truly bat guano crazy human offering me this. But this is what happens every day. People drink alcohol, but it's a glass of poison. I'm wondering how many people are going to stop listening to your podcast as a result of this, right? Like, what? I know. Click.
0: I'm turning this off right now. This is the worst news ever. Okay, with that being said... I agree with you. And I don't drink either or advocate drinking. However, people are going to drink regardless. And that's their decision. So is there a level of which one has more poison, which is worse? If you were going to drink, would you choose like clear alcohols versus beer and wine? Like what are the levels of tox- of poison with these different?
1: What would I do? W- what would Wendy do? What would Wendy do? So yeah. uh, what I would say, what Wendy would do if Wendy were a drinker is Wendy would A, not as a female, not try, okay, as a genetic female, okay, I don't care how you identify if your chromosomes are XX, you don't process alcohol as well as XY. So if you can have two drinks, I could probably have one. So you can't keep up with the XYs in your life. So nurse it longer than they do. One, I would go for like something like a dry farm wine, which is no pesticides. I would make sure it's organic because you get a dose of pesticides and glyphosate when you're drinking non-organic alcohols. I would make sure, I would dilute it with and make it a spritzer cuz you know sometimes you're looking for the experience distinct from the the alcohol. You want the experience and the inclusiveness. So if you're looking for that, then what I would say is go for a a wine, a dry farm wine spritzer get a minimal alcohol content, and sip it slowly.
0: That's it, <laughs> no other option, that's it, okay.
1: Or, or go for something organic and again, dilute it. And, and women are not meant to be drinking every single day. Pro- probably like two drinks a week is about what's reasonable for us, but we're, some of us are drinking two a day. So we're, we're much higher than the recommended levels. So moderation is two a week. It's not two a day.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I remember Dr. Zach Bush was sharing about the average California wine has about 64 herbicides in it, which is insane. Think about what that's doing to the tight junction. So uh, dry farm wines would, is ex- exactly what I recommend. I interviewed Todd White as well. It's a great option for people who choose to drink. And if you could dilute it, even better. What about some, some things we can do to like, if somebody's going to have alcohol, can they take like a binder beforehand, some activated charcoal, some glutathione. What are some things they can do to really mitigate the damage uh, before they actually have the alcohol?
1: Definitely glutathione and acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid. These all promote glutathione, so definitely that. That would be a day to eat cleaner. If you know you're going to drink at night, eat cleaner during the day so that you're not giving an extra burden to your body. Uh, That would be a good day to go in the sauna or the next day go in the sauna or an epsom salt bath, exercise, stay well hydrated because part of the issues with alcohol is that it dehydrates you and it's called we, we coined this dehydraging.
0: So, oh, I haven't heard that one before.
1: No, because we just coined the term <laughs> like 2 months that's ago. That's awesome. So, dehydraging is the state in which your cells don't function optimally because they're dehydrated. So, don't age prematurely because you're dehydrated.
0: That's so good.
1: So, drink enough drink enough water to balance your alcohol because it is dehydrating you.
0: <laughs> that's a, that's a good term. I, I like that. I'll give you credit every time I use it from now on. Thank you. What I've noticed when it comes to people who have these vices like alcohol in excess, uh, I'm talking about, and just bad, um, unhealthy behaviors is that they're not really clear on what's important to them. Or they're not really living a life on purpose with their purpose, which kind of goes back to the mental component. And I, what I mean is this, uh, I'm going to relate it to a quote, and then I'll explain more about what I mean. There's a great quote from a guy named Dr. Robert Heinlein. Uh, not doctor, he's just Robert Heinlein, excuse me. He said, in the absence of clearly defined goals, we become strangely loyal to performing daily trivia until ultimately we become enslaved by it. So you can relate the daily trivia to you know, alcohol, video games, drugs, sugar, whatever it is. So for me, my story is that when I got really clear on my highest values and my clearly defined goals seven years ago... I said, no longer am I going to have daily trivia. And for me, daily trivia was alcohol. So I have found that the more clear you are on your goals and you're pursuing that and you're so passionate about that, there's no time for alcohol or you see the effect that it has to slow you down in getting that goal. So I think that's a very important piece. I see you shaking your head and I think you agree with me.
1: Yeah, I do. And I think the other part of it, Ben, is I don't believe that anyone is bad or wrong. I think you know, you do what you grew up doing or what your, your social group does. So if you're not around people who for whom it's normal to avoid alcohol. And if it's normal for you to drink and it's expected, that's just how life is, right? You might not even question it. So it's not even a vice, it's just the color of the water, the way it is. So what I would say is, when you start to become committed to and focused on your health, alcohol may need to take a lesser role because you can't be optimally healthy unless you've gotten rid of all your toxins and you can keep up with the onslaught. And because alcohol serves as such a negative factor for that, right? If, if you're having two glasses of alcohol a day, you're not detoxing except from the alcohol. You're now sort of blinders or on focusing on, oh God, I gotta get rid of the alcohol so I don't get alcohol poisoning. You're not doing the other thousand al- uh, chemicals that you've been exposed to in the course of the day. So it really does shut down the system. So it depends. You know, if you're, look, if you're optimally healthy, you can handle it. You and I (laughs) can't. So if you fall in the, I call that strong like bull or strong like mouse. I'm strong like mouse. If you look at me funny, I'm going to tip over. But I have a friend, she can stay up for 36 hours and go have a drink of wine and she's fine. Or at least she was 20 years ago. She said to me now, it's a little bit harder now for her because she's aging and she's less resilient. So you can take things at different stages of life.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well said. Not to mention that when you drink alcohol, you're probably going to have gluten. You're probably going to have fried foods. You're probably going to make bad, uh, poor decisions right. with your nutrition. Stay too late, so
1: not drinking enough yeah, stay water. Too late. Not do exactly. your exercise. I mean, there's a lot of things that go in that.
0: Yeah. So you have a, a summit coming up that is going to be amazing. I know you've been working on it for like a year now, I believe. Almost. Yeah. Um, yeah, share about it. And it's about to be released. It's about to be premiered. So what is the summit? Who, what are the, what's the topic? Who are the speakers? And when is it starting?
1: Well, I mean, our, my favorite speaker is Ben Azadi, who's on the <laughs> summit. So the summit is environmental toxicants, autoimmunity, and chronic diseases. And what we say is that the, uh, the deluge of toxins that we're being exposed to is leading to an explosion in autoimmunity and chronic diseases. And not just that there's a problem, but how do you fix it? How do you go from being someone who has an autoimmune disease or a chronic disease and go to feel freaking amazing because you were able to get past it and fix the problem and take, get your hands around the narrative and tell your own story instead of it being written for you by that death by a thousand cuts. So the summit is all about inspiration, empowerment, education, and action. What to do to feel freaking amazing today.
0: Freaking amazing. I want to feel freaking amazing. I
1: know. We trademarked that statement because I was like, I always say you should feel freaking amazing. And I was like, well, we're going to trademark that statement because that's what we're all about. You, so that's our you program. You were able to trademark, feel trademark that? Amazing.
0: Yes. Well, it's in your book subtitle too. I remember that. I know. <laughs> I,
1: I know. Next time we do the cover, we're going to put TM next to feel freaking amazing. I love amazing. that. So, yeah. So our goal is that you feel vital, vibrant, healthy, able, and interested in intimacy until you're at least hundred and that every decade is better than the one before and that you feel freaking amazing.
0: Yeah. So, that sounds good. We're doing
1: that. Yeah, we have best speakers.
0: Is, is, is the summit free?
1: Oh, yeah, it's free. It's totally free. It starts on April 11th, and it goes through the 17th. We have over 40 speakers. It's free. Um, I mean, the speakers are unbelievable. Uh, Deanna Minnick is on it. We have Will Cole on it. Awesome. We have Love other, We have Terry Walls on it. Oh, cool. Who brought me to tears. She was one of our first interviews, mm. brought me to tears, talking Her about story. how she was... Approaching oh. a feeding tube and now does, you know, bike rides. Yeah. It's like, just not, not what you would expect yeah. for
0: people. Yeah, that story of her riding the bike for the first time uh, got, gave me goosebumps. So, wow, hey, that's I, an, brought, I
1: cried. Yeah,
0: incredible. So, where's where do they go to sign up for this?
1: We're going to put the link in the show notes and So you just literally put your name and your email in and you'll get the invite and link and every day you'll get more information. Every day sort of has a theme, but there are people interspersed who, uh, it's not only thematic, but it's really all about empowering, inspiring, educating and taking action so that you feel freaking amazing every day.
0: I love that. Uh, So we're going to put a link down below. If you're on YouTube, it's also down below. Is there an option for them to pay to get the recordings? Because when I do these summits, I know they're free, but they're, the availability goes away at a certain amount of time. So I always pay to get the recordings. Can they have that option yeah. too? Okay.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Because you know the the people in our summit, every single one has all these pearls. So afterwards I was like, I really need the recording and I have the recording. <laughs> right. So yeah, we have an option. If you want to listen to it again for on-demand access, there's a, there's a VIP package and actually that's great because you get all of these extras, you get like 30 extra things, extra books, how to's. There's a lot of extras that you get when you opt into the paid program and cause then it's on demand for you when you want it.
0: I always do that. I always upgrade for that because even if I, I, I am going to watch them all live, which I do recommend you doing, I want to go rewatch it. But sometimes I don't get to watch it all live. So I want to have the recording. So there you go. That's a great option for them. Yeah,
1: it's hard to absorb. I mean, there's only so much one human can absorb in eight hours. And so if there's eight hours of recordings, probably by the end of three, you're like, whoa, but it's still going. It's like, but wait, there's more.
0: But wait, there's more. Okay, awesome. Go get signed up for that. We're putting a link down below. It's going to start very, very soon from the release of this conversation we're having right now. And then your book is called Dirty Girl, Ditch the Toxins, Look Great, and Feel Freaking Amazing, trademarked. <laughs> your TM TM, your <laughs> your podcast is called Five Journeys Podcast. If you go to fivejourneys.com, you could find that anywhere else you want for the keto campers to go.
1: Instagram at Instagram and Facebook at Wendy Trubo MD. And by the way, we might change the name of our of our podcast. We're sort of oh. toying with calling it the Feel Freaking Amazing Podcast, because oh, why yeah. not? I like, like that. I sh- like Five That's Journeys, what about.
0: but I love I Feel Freaking Amazing podcast. Feel Freaking Amazing. Yeah.
1: So I think we're going to change the name probably. We're, we're heading towards that. So yeah, so at Instagram at Wendy Trubo MD, Facebook, same thing. And then uh, our Dirty Girl line is about to launch also so people can follow that too. That's Dirty Girl Detox. Not just Dirty Girl, but Dirty Girl Detox.
0: Dirty Girl Detox. Be careful Googling that. Make sure yeah. you just go right to the domain. Yes. Don't Google that. Yes. <laughs> And then if you're going to A4M in May in Orlando and you see Wendy there, go give her a hug, say hello, say you heard her on the podcast and watch her lecture. She's going to crush it. Last quick question as we land a plane, Wendy, is I talk a lot about a supplement. We didn't talk about it today, but it's a very powerful supplement. I think it will be amazing for the leaky gut and for your tight junctions. It's called vitamin G gratitude, the practice of gratitude. And my question for you is what are you grateful for today, right now?
1: right this minute. I'm super grateful. Well, I have a lot of gratitudes, but my gratitude today is my babysitter who has picked up, you know, we've gotten very busy and I used to cook everything. And now I cook nothing because she has stepped in, taken my recipes, taken the coaching and makes my recipes for me every day. So I'm super grateful to her so I can work a lot and she takes care of the cooking in a way that's healthy and vegetable laden and and it's all organic. And I'm super grateful to her because I could not do what I do without her.
0: Ah, oh, I need one of those myself. I love that. Yeah. That's amazing. It's like a
1: wife. It's almost like a wife. Oh my gosh. Except, you know, that's none so, of that.
0: That's so awesome. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. I'm grateful for you and your work, uh, the summit that you have coming up. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful for the round two conversation we just had. I always have so much fun with you. You're so knowledgeable, but you're not just knowledgeable. You're fun to talk to and you're entertaining. So Wendy, thank you for coming back to the show. I'm so grateful for you. And I look forward to the next conversation already.
1: Me too, Ben. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you so much for listening to that conversation with Dr. Wendy Troubeau. I hope you have a clear understanding on the root cause of autoimmune disease, and actionable steps to reverse it. Go get registered for her summit, the Environmental Toxin Summit. It's free. It starts April 11th. Tomorrow, we'll drop that link down below. If you want to watch the video format of today's interview with Wendy, that is on our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com. Her website is fivejourneys.com. She has her 5 Journeys podcast. Her Instagram is Wendy Trubo MD, and we'll reference all of that down below. Her book is Dirty Girl. We'll also reference that down below. If you're not registered for our 7-Day Keto Kickstart Challenge, it started today. And you can still register for it by going to ketocampchallenge.com. Please share this episode with a friend. Share it with somebody you know who has autoimmune disease, leaky gut, digestive issues. And consider leaving the show a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening from today. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with Dr. Wendy Troubeau and myself. I'll see you on the next episode.